Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Doug, would you like to tell everybody why we're not meeting in person today? <laughs> I think I think you might be a little bit scared to to see me right now. As you know, and as some listeners know, I ran the Sky to Summit 50K down in Georgia last weekend, and it was it was really the ideal race after such a terrible race the one before the a terrible 50K last time. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just ran very smart. I started out slow and easy, took care of myself, and had a great strong second half of the race. Felt great about it until Sunday morning at like 1 o'clock in the morning I woke up and went to the bathroom and had broken out in some sort of crazy rash all over my body. <laughs> like everywhere. <laughs> it's uh, it's starting to go down. I'm taking meds and um, swelling and different pus and all this gross oh stuff has is, is gone down. But it, I mean it, it is like seriously one of the worst things that, or the most uncomfortable things that has ever happened to me I would say. Yeah, I can imagine that's pretty uncomfortable. I have never really had a huge rash like that, I don't think. But that sounds terrible. Yeah, and the doctors weren't totally sure what it was. They thought, they thought at first they thought it could be poison ivy, but then they weren't sure. And you know, it's uh, it's just it's from it's literally Ebola. from head, head to toe. It could be Ebola. You know, <laughs> so back. I guess that I guess that's a result of of pushing your body and your immune system, immune system. Yeah, are, you know. Yeah, I think it is. I I have a history of getting sick after fifty mile races, not ever like that, but just like not feeling good and then actually yeah. getting a cold or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not yeah, that that could totally be it. But that's good. You had a good race. I'm glad to hear that, uh, especially after the previous one, and especially that this was a really tough course, right? Yeah, it was a very tough course, much tougher than the last, um, and lots of you know just lots of elevation gain and some really gnarly descents. Uh, but I just I felt so good. I ran smart, and I stayed on top of my nutrition and hydration. And I did I did everything that I tell people to do, but sometimes I forget to you know I get cocky and forget to do it myself. Right. Um, so it just it went really well. Um, if you're interested, you can read about it on Rocket Runner today. Um, ding, <laughs> ding. <laughs> but uh, but you know it's just been it's been a very uncomfortable few days after. I think it's getting better. So hopefully next week we can be back together and doing this in person. Hopefully. Hopefully. Make sure you're totally all cleared up before you contaminate anything in your house. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we've got a guest today. It's Ray Cronice, who is a friend of mine who has now been on the podcast three times. Uh, it's a good interview. This is, I would say, it's the least in depth of our interviews. Um, mm-hmm. If you've listened to the previous two, and if two, and if you haven't, you absolutely should. They're really good. He goes into crazy depth about things and has so much knowledge about nutrition. It just every time I talk to him, I feel like. I have this new lens through which to see, you know, food and, and the way we eat. So it's really good. But I think this this interview is maybe a good first one to listen to with Ray because it mm. is a little bit not, you know, Ray tends to talk and goes into depth because he knows so much. Um, but we tried to keep it shorter here and we were somewhat successful about that. But uh, he talks about his book that's coming out and he's doing a Kickstarter for now. Uh, but anyway, has been wildly successful, right? I mean, yeah, he's raised like fifty-five thousand dollars or more, maybe, and the goal was only ten. Wow. Um, in large part because Penn Gillette of Penn and che- of Penn and Teller, uh, on the Kickstarter video, he opens it up by saying Ray Cronice saved my life, uh, which is you know a pretty strong statement from a guy who has a huge following. 
Right. And and I, I mean, I think he really does believe that Ray did save his life. Ray got him to start eating a vegan diet, and Penn's health has improved a thousand percent. So uh, I'm really glad to see that because the book is one that I'm ever since Ray first started telling me about it years ago. I was just thinking this this is a book that needs to get out there, and that when people get it, this this approach to diet coming from someone who's not at all ethically motivated by a vegan diet, but has decided that this is the the most protective diet basically that you can eat, uh, the one that makes the most sense for us. Uh, I th- just think it's a great message, and I'm, I'm really excited that it's going to be getting out there. Yeah, this is cool. I was not part of this interview, as people will hear, but I am really excited to listen to it as well. So yeah. I'm really glad to have him on. Yes, so um, I'll, I'll give you, before we get to the interview, a little bit of Ray's bio, just because he does have quite a resume. Uh, but two quick announcements. Our podcast, Doug, has been growing like crazy. Yeah, we've been blowing up. We have. I don't know what the cause is. Uh, I wish I knew so that we could keep doing it. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just our sparkling personalities has to be our our banter we get several emails of people saying they enjoy our our banter which i always take as a compliment yeah i guess so <laughs> i guess we're, we're bantering back and forth yeah. um but yeah so I, here's what's amazing to me we got we were at like i don't know 100 people probably don't care that much about numbers but we we crossed a million downloads in october for the first time but in November, we're on pace for 250,000 downloads this coming month. So that is that is incredible to me that, that we've been doing this all these years and all these episodes we've made. And we're going to get this month a quarter, not quite a quarter, but something approaching a quarter of our whole history of downloads, which is amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. That is amazing. And so thank you. Thanks to everybody. Yeah, for, really. For I mean, because we don't know what we're doing. We're just, we are, that's making this happen. We're just talking and having fun and i'm really yeah. glad people are digging it um so if you want to help that encourage it even more you can leave us a rating and review on itunes i try not to ask for it too much but uh it's incredibly helpful to to any podcast as you know so go to our itunes page it's no meat athlete radio on itunes and uh, give us a good rating and a nice review and it will help us reach even more people so we can do even more more with the podcast and more episodes and you know just put more into it yeah Good. Okay. I'm glad you agree with that, Doug. <laughs> uh, last thing. No Meat Athlete book, don't forget, is on sale. It's a Kindle holiday deal this month. It's only two ninety nine on the Kindle, and you don't even need a Kindle to read it. You can get a free Kindle app uh, for any kind of smartphone or tablet. So that, if you go to nomeatathlete.com slash Kindle, that will take you to this page on the iTunes store. And I've been informed that this does not work for international people, unfortunately. I'm sorry uh, about that, but either Amazon or my publisher won't make it uh make it happen it's only for us but uh anyway if you want to do that if you want to support the show in that way i would really appreciate it and uh, i think it's a really great deal it's not it's going to go back to 10 bucks as soon as uh as soon as november's over yeah jump on that quick yes. people have been loving it loving the deal they have it's all blowing up the podcast is blowing up blowing up we're, the, we're like the susan boyle of uh <laughs> of the vegan itunes world we're just going viral right now <laughs> it's great yes okay let's get to ray so ray's bio really quickly uh I, I give much more extensive stuff on the previous episodes we'll link to those so do listen to those um but he you will know him listeners from the four hour body he was in there tim ferris's book which is a really good book uh lots of neat things there he's the guy who did the cold stress fat loss he's the one who observed that michael phelps was was eating more food than it seemed like he was burning in terms of calories from just traditional point of view exercise as the calorie burning mechanism uh and he figured out or discovered that it was the fact that michael was in this pool all day long that was colder than most people's room temperature is 
uh, and that this cold was helping him to to be able to burn so many calories. So realized that that cold could potentially be a good way to lose fat, and that was kind of the um, I don't know jumping off point for Ray to getting into the nutrition world. So he, he's still interested in that sort of stuff, but he's now tackling the much bigger problem of how do we eat healthily and what's wrong with the way that we currently eat. So he's in the Four Hour Body. Uh, he also founded the company Zero G with Peter Diamandis, who a lot of people know as the XPRIZE founder and author of a book called Bold, which is a very good book. I highly recommend it. came out this past year. Um, what else about Ray? I mean, he's been, he's been, has some wired features on him. Uh, he's just, he's just a crazy kind of body hacking guy, gets all kinds of data and does experiments. We opened this interview with him uh, talking about this 24-day water fast he did at True North, which is just, I mean, 24 days only water, and uh, he did it for experimentation reasons. So anyway, just a fascinating guy, a friend of mine. We hung out in Nashville at my book tour event there a couple years ago, and uh, he and Steve Cam of Nerd Fitness and I went out to the bars and had a crazy night that night, which was which is a, a different story <laughs> altogether. But I just think it's cool that he can know so much about health and still be up for just hanging out like that. Yeah, it's not and, healthy at all. Uh, you know what I like about Ray is just how how knowledgeable that guy is. Man, he just <laughs> knows crazy. so much stuff. It's like wild. Just listening to him talk, you're like, whoa, that guy knows a lot of stuff. Yeah, and and every time I do like. You know, every now and then I still get those little uncertainties like this this vegan diet is still so so strange compared to the way other people eat. Mm-hmm. And there's this, still this voice in your head that comes up and says like what if what if this is wrong? Like what if this isn't right that what if everybody who's saying where do you get your protein is right, you know? Which of course they're not. But when I talk to Ray, it's always just like it just makes me so happy that <laughs> like I have someone this knowledgeable who is telling me and agreeing with me that that this is the way to eat. <laughs> Uh, right. It's just it's just really reassuring. Um, and one more thing about Ray that we mentioned really quickly in the interview is that he and I are working on a project together, which has stalled out a little bit, but only because of the kind of situation I went through this summer. Uh, but we're working on a, a metabolism type project. I'm a my background is in math, and that was what I was doing. I was in grad school for math when I eventually quit and started doing Nomad Athlete full time. But I still really like modeling and doing stuff with computers, building you know models of different phenomena so not um, like modeling on like <laughs> like cool clothing and stuff Hip clothing. Yeah, exactly yeah okay all right uh no the kind of modeling where you where you use numbers and mathematical uh that kind. things to uh you know to simulate events and, and predict make predictions and you know so anyway we're, we're doing a, a model of how the human body metabolizes food and, and you know how your your timing of your meals and what types what what goes into those meals how that affects uh what calories your body's holding on to lots of really really interesting stuff uh and it's great to be working on something with ray uh of course that's all taking the back seat to fantasy football modeling so <laughs> trying to figure out how many points tom brady will score next week uh that's that's a much much bigger priority right now <laughs> but soon that'll be done actually the fantasy football has has gotten me back into all the coding and everything which is really good because i needed a refresher yeah so anyway, and it sounds like that's all going away. DraftKings um, and, and FanDuel. Every, every week like it seems losing. like somebody else is banning it. Yeah, so we don't have too much longer. So once they're all banned and it's no, no longer legal, then I will shift gears to focusing on nutrition <laughs> with Ray. Saving people's lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Well, uh, let's get to the interview. Two really fast things I want to mention before that. I mentioned that Ray, or I don't know if I did mention that. He he eats, yes, I did mention, he eats vegan uh he he prefers, to, I guess, to call it plant based. I don't actually, you know, he calls it nutritarian, which is Dr. Joel Furman's term. Uh, eat to live, super immunity. We mention Furman all the time. Ray and Furman are friends. Uh, Ray and everybody are friends, it seems. And 
Ray eats that way, not from an ethical standpoint, though. So if you know, I don't know how many times a year, but every now and then he will he doesn't he'll eat fish or something with his son because his son loves sushi, and like to him, it that has no impact on his health because it's so rare. And not coming to it from the ethical side of things, it, it doesn't bother him to do that like it would me or you. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, just wanted to give that bit of background. But I would say 99% of the time he's vegan. And you, you'll hear him talk about all why he is and the reasons and when he thinks it is okay from a health perspective to make exceptions. Um, the other thing is we mentioned True North, which I said already in this intro, which is where he is staying as he does this interview and where he's writing the, some of his book where he's finishing it up. Um, but we didn't really say what True North is, and it's this facility in California. It's I don't know who actually runs it, but it has some really well-known doctors there: Doctor Clapper, uh, Doctor Lyle, and Jeff Novick. Yes, name I've mentioned a lot, but these are guys who I hear about all the time. I don't really know that much about them or their books, uh, but I do know a lot of people talk about them as as really useful doctors or very knowledgeable doctors and uh, and dietitians in Novick's case. Uh, so anyway, it's it's a place people go to kind of do like a health reset, like people who need to lose a lot of weight or have a food addiction problem. Um, I'm sure they do other things as well that, that maybe aren't quite so uh, serious cases, but it's a, it's just a health facility people go. They do, they're big on their water fasting and getting people kind of reset and back on track with eating. So just so people know where that is when we talk about it right away in this, in this interview. Cool. Okay. Let's get to it. Well, then let's get to it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Hope you enjoy the interview. All right. Hey everyone, it's Matt here with my buddy Ray Cronice. Ray, you're the third, or you're the first no meat athlete guest ever to be on three times. So that's, uh, I'm sure, one of the, the best honors you've ever received, huh? It's it's an amazing honor. You know, <laughs> we've we've had a great time together, and and it's been just fun uh, getting to know you, and you know the crazy stuff we're doing when we're offline as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's great to be here again. Yeah. So we, uh, for those who don't know, Ray and I have talked. Many hours on the phone. Uh, often it's Ray talking and me just absorbing as much as I possibly can. Uh, so I know you can talk, Ray, and anyone who's listened to your previous episodes, which I would highly recommend you do if you haven't, um, you know you know also that Ray Ray has a ton of information. So we're going to try to keep this to the, the, the episode length that we're used to making uh, just so as not to overwhelm and make sure people listen to this because uh, I do love talking to you, love having you on here, and I think you have so much good information. So... Um, Let's actually cut right to it. I mean, the reason you're on here is because you've got you're working on a new book called Our yes. Broken Plate, which you've yeah. been telling me about for years now. I'm so excited that it's actually coming to fruition, and you've got the Kickstarter going. Um, if you haven't seen it yet from me tweeting it or Facebooking it, um, it's cool. Pendulette is in the video. He's basically featured in the Kickstarter video, video the entire time, so totally worth watching just for that. Uh, but it's a great project, and we will get into all that. Cool stuff. Uh, but you right now, Ray, are at True North, right? Right. I'm, I've been here. Uh, I just uh, completed a – it turned out to be a 24-day water fast. I started at 21, but some things that I was doing that were interesting that I'll be covering in the book uh, went, went more. I, I went a few more days. And actually, I could have gone probably another five or six or seven days and not really felt bad. I mean, there's a lot of myths around fasting, but um, but one of the real interesting things is is that you know fasting is uh, uh, you know really – an untapped medical modality that we we don't really look at as as frequent. So for things like hypertension, for things like uh, uh, diabetes, for 
uh, issues with skin issues like eczema. There's there's a lot of autoimmune diseases. There's a lot of issues where um, basically taking the body, and what we mean by fasting is you're basically drinking distilled water only. So we're not talking about juice fasting, potato fasting, you know, carrot fasting, you know, lemon detox fasting. We're talking about just drinking water. Um, and it sets off a series of, of really, really interesting metabolic events where your body's trying to reclaim some of the, the nutrients that you're not getting through diet. And in doing so, uh, you know, clean, cleans, literally cleans out some of the old cell structures and things that it can use as reserves to, uh, to make up for the deficiency. Okay, so I'm concerned, Ray, that that we've just talked about your new book, and I'm I'm hyping you up as this guy who I I really respect, who knows all this stuff about diet, and you're going right into water fasting. Uh, that people are going to be like, okay, this is crazy. I don't know if that's the way to sell a book. So, what what's the reason? Why are you doing this? Why did you do yeah, this? I should say. Yeah. So so yeah, and and the reason is is that um, the reason why it's crazy is because it's socially extreme. It's not because it's biologically extreme. In fact. What we know about the research, and if you look at my, our first paper, the metabolic winter hypothesis, is that we've actually never really extended life or extended health span of any of the organisms, whether it's, uh, whether it's yeast, fruit flies, flatworms, uh, rodents, primates, by giving them more. In fact, when we restrict their diet, and when we restrict, we're not talking about malnutrition, we're talking about restricted from what they would eat normally, not socially, but and so we're talking about restricted from a healthy diet, not restricted from a obsessive, you know, obsessive Western diet. But, 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 but basically when we restrict their calories by about 30 or 40%, they live paradoxically 50% longer. And so one of the things that I'm trying to do with this fast is I'm actually going back to really the turn of the 20th century where there's a lot of real science data where we really didn't know what happened to the body at extended periods without food. Fasting was sort of a circus demo. It was a, a performance art. It wasn't something we knew scientifically. And so we started studying and learning a lot about it. And soon we passed that. And now we're sort of in this world of we're always thinking about what can we swallow, or I call it swallowing and wiggling. How can we move? How can we swallow for health? But it turns out that there is a lot of science there. So what I'm doing is actually this time, last year with the, the fast, and I think we talked about after the, the test last year, but uh, there's some information on my blog. Last year, I looked at a six, after 30 days of a, re, a reduced diet and then a water fast, how did that uh, impact me? And so I have a full medical supervision team. I was doing DEXA scans every two weeks. I was doing over 80 biomarkers, so over $10,000 in blood testing. So it's not like I just decided to hole up in a hotel room and drink water for a couple of days and you know listen to the Grateful Dead. It was really, it was this idea that, you know, it was the idea of really metabolically watching what my body does. And surprisingly, I felt completely normal for the whole time. I mean, I was able, as normal as I guess I can feel, you know, I'm, I'm kind of off there on a couple of, uh, a couple of standard deviations away from normal by my my obsessiveness with trying to learn stuff. But what I'm saying is I felt very clear, very lucid, ability to launch my Kickstarter campaign, and I'm writing on a second paper. So um, not what you would think. You would think you feel miserable and 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 sort of cranky, and, and yet I didn't feel any of those things. Yeah, I would I would think you would be dead. I mean, how many total days was it? Yeah, so it was 24, you know, wow. and some of the people here will fast for medical reasons up to 40 days. And up to 40 days is um, without any supplements or vitamins is, is, is kind of a normal number, you know, if, if, if it's helped. Now, the longest medically supervised water fast is 382 days. 
So I want to put in perspective, my 24 days is like chump change compared to 382 days. And the guy, uh, you can Google it, just put 382 days of water fast and go to PubMed, you'll see it there. What's interesting, he's lost, he lost 276 pounds. And so when we talk about metabolism later, maybe uh, we'll talk about this whole fat loss starvation mode, but he lost that weight uh, and he kept it off for five years later. He was still at his ideal weight. So, um, Hmm. so, so there are a lot of myths and a lot of things that we operate under, you know, these rules of thumb where we're thinking, you know, I'm skipping a meal and I'm crashing my metabolism and and it's just simply not true. So one of the things that I want to do with our broken plate is sort of um, you know dissect some of these. Certainly, people in our community, for example, uh, you know where do you get your protein, right? So, so we all have that, and we can talk about that a little later. But the point is, I think enough people there have heard that question. And they sort of roll their eyes, say, "Oh no, not this question again." Well, it turns out a lot of things that we hold on um, as truthy stuff. Um, a lot of it isn't exactly as true as we think it is, and so I want to try to blow apart the contradictions because how Matt and I. You know how we, you know, you and I really originally met was off the paleo vegan blog post, mm-hmm. and really seeking where the truth is. You know what what happens when someone is or is not eating animal products. You know what what deficiencies may or may not occur. What adjustments do you have to make? And you know, Matt, we one of the subjects we talk or email or text about is always, you know, hey, you know, making tweaks to our diet to be optimal. So we're not designed to eat anything. We're designed to eat lots of things. But the question is, what do we eat? And I don't think anybody really knows completely the answer to that question. Okay, so just to sum this up, you're not, you're not now recommending people do water fasting. I mean, certainly not unsupervised, no. but but I'm just, no. you're doing it for experimentation, not Absolutely. because it's like this is now the thing that you're suggesting people do. Right. So so we there is there is some truth to the intermittent fasting that's possible up to about three or four days. Everybody is going to be just fine. You, they won't feel so good because it, it takes a couple of days for your body to adjust. But no, I don't think you should be going out, you know, certainly not longer than five days if you don't have medical supervision. And you don't need to do it for weight loss. If you'll go to my blog, what you'll see and what you'll see in the thing, Pendulette, to you know, bring over there. He never fasted a single day, but he lost weight at the exact same rate as what he would have lost if he was just fasting and not eating at all. And that's surprising that you can actually do that with food. So, so, um, so obviously, if you'll you'll look at my the, actually the blog before the last one, I've only had two in the last year, so you can't get it wrong. I only only blog when I have something to say. <laughs> I'm not the this the serial blogger like you guys. I, I I just put it up there. But you look, you'll see the results from my first fast, and you'll see uh, absolutely that that I lost weight whether I was eating starches, whether I was eating a nutritarian diet, whether I was eating water diet, water only, um, I, I was able to lose weight at about the same, same rate. Okay. And your blog rate for those who don't know? Uh, just raychronice.com or it's hypothermics.com because it's tied into the original stuff with Tim Ferriss and the four hour body and the cold stress. So I, there'll be a lot of stuff on cold there, but there's a lot of stuff on protein, carbs, and fat and some new stuff that that's going to be coming out soon. Gotcha. I did not know you had RayCornice.com. That's good to know because I always yes. forget whether it's hypothermics or thermogenics or what. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay. Let's talk about Penn then since you brought him up. He's in your video. Right. Um, I know you've talked about him a lot. I know you know him. I know you've been on his – have you been on his podcast? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've done it twice now. So I was on this Sunday, this past Sunday. Um, if you, I, it's the episode with Dr. Furman. So Joel Furman oh, and myself cool. okay. uh, were on it at the same time. It's just been on, and then we did our earlier uh, podcast with him, with just me and him and uh, Michael and, and Matt. And actually, all of them participated. Eventually, they lost two hundred and forty pounds between all of them, which is great. They all were getting off. Well, two of the three were getting off medications, you know, powerful uh, blood pressure medications, and those things. Things are, you know, almost all the way gone, and one it's completely gone and normalized. And, and Penn, he doesn't have far to go. But you know, I was actually coming back from that self-test last year, uh, driving with all of my metabolic lab equipment back to Huntsville, and um, and I stopped in just to see them because my daughter had never really seen them. And afterwards, we started talking, and you know, I could just tell Penn was just drilling me with questions. And so later I got a text and, you know, he sort of had the license to be crazy. He had a team of physicians. So it wasn't just, you know, Ray and his buddy Ray, the nut from Alabama and, <laughs> and him. We, we all talked about it and everybody agreed that he should give this try. And, uh, you know, his, you know, I gave him a really amazing goal. I said, you know, you could easily get below uh, 230 by your birthday, which was March 5th. He started on December 8th and his whole birthday party was uh, was entitled, the, the, the theme of it was, Penn's new favorite food, and we did an all-vegan, oil-free dinner for about 80 people in L.A., and it was his 60th birthday, and he just loved it. He loves his new diet. He loves his new food. Uh, At some point, you know, he's doing a book too. You really need – I I told you, we really need to get him on your podcast as well because uh, he he loves talking about the food now. He cannot believe – how much he likes eating this way, and he's really not missing anything. But you know, completely not ideology for him. So this is again right. how you and I started, Matt. And I, I think, uh, I think finally we're starting to shake some of these uh, stereotypes. And I, I'd also want to make sure I'm clear: I'm not against people who have those ideological bends or whatever. I'm just saying many people aren't motivated by that. Yeah. And oh, yeah. and yet on both sides of the debate. Both people assume that we need to be to participate in a plant-based diet, and I just don't think that's true. Right, right. It's not true, and it's not helpful for spreading it to the mainstream either. Right, uh, right. That, that and, people and, assume that. I mean, it's certainly good that there are people who are ethically motivated, like myself, but it's not. I think it. I think that perception kind of prevents other people from doing it because they don't want to buy into this cult or whatever you know they think it's think right. It is. Right. And the same number of animals are saved, so you know yeah, it's, exactly. it's not it's not as if it's a it's a it's a it, it it impacts it negatively. But you know we love to belong, we love to be a part of a group that's bigger than ourselves, and and we love to differentiate. And that's one of the sub stories of our broken plate, which is uh, you know our society has changed uh, our relationship of food from one of sustenance, simply having enough to eat to one of seeking specific nutrients or belonging in certain groups or associating in certain ways. And when that relationship changed, when we had this food of affluence, I'll argue so did our health. And I'll also demonstrate in the book that it's some of the things you believe happened in the last four or five decades were actually going on 200 years ago. And that's really fascinating to see that they had some of the same challenges, some of the same debates, some of the same arguments. It's really amazing to see it that far back. Yeah, that, that is amazing. And that, that to me is what's really exciting about this book of yours, uh, that you did go that far back. And you've always brought up with me all these, all these old nutrition guys who I've never heard of that, that nobody's heard of because who isn't a scientist because they're not, they're not known nowadays, right? They're, they, were, yep. they were you know, historically important to this nutrition uh, you know, science, but 
but nowadays there nobody knows them. So it's it's really cool stuff. Um, by the way, we we did, for for those who don't know, Penn Jillette is of Penn and Teller from from the Las Vegas comedy team. I used to do a, a radio show that I used to listen to before anyone listened, before there were podcasts. He did some midday radio, and he's done a million other things too. Um, and his, what's the name of his podcast? I don't I don't see his is Penn, Penn Sunday School is yes, where he is right. now. So you go to Penn Sunday School and. Um, you know, what was that thing? Because he did uh, that streaming thing. And now I'm forgetting what it is. Um, I, I think it was called reg- – I think it was – oh, on radio. This was on regular AM, AM radio, yeah, like on, yeah. on the you know, talk radio. Yes, it, it, at one point it was called Just Pen, I think, or something like that. I know he was doing some things back when we did the Zero-G stuff back in the late 90s um, because he talked – you know, we talked about that back then. But um, And how did you get to know Penn? So we met through a mutual friend, Tim Jennison, uh, who's one of my really close friends. In fact, the inspiration for Our Broken Plate, um, he has a documentary that everyone should uh, see called Tim's Vermeer, where he actually uh, has uh, reverse engineered how Vermeer did his amazing, the Dutch painter Vermeer did his amazing paintings, the painter with light. Uh, Penn and Teller actually uh, were uh, producers on that as well, so, so they're featured there. Uh, but it's an amazing thing. But, you know, I was staying with him and we, I was actually helping him. Once you see the documentary, you'll see I'm in the I get my 15 seconds of flame and the fame in the forklift scene where he and I decide to start building the room. But when you see the meticulous detail uh, Tim went to to build this room and the millions they spent doing this whole thing. I started thinking about this from a nutritional perspective. This is in 2009 and I had lost my weight with the cold cold stuff. People know that story. And as I've told Matt several times before, my health didn't improve. I still had, you know, was basically trending on type 2 diabetes. I still had high cholesterol. I still had reactive hypoglycemia. So even though I had lost my weight, I hadn't regained all my health. You know, everybody said you lose the weight, everything's going to magically get better, but it, it actually didn't. And of course, I did it sort of the other old diet and exercise way along with cold stress, you know, small frequent meals and you know, one serving of protein the size of my hand and one carb the size of my fish. You know, I was thinking that way about food back then. But I did successfully lose the weight. But um, but this time, you know, I, I started really looking at the contradictions. And that's, you know, Matt, where you and I meet, you know, in terms of, of trying to, to figure that some of that out. And and though Matt hasn't said, you know, we've 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 been talking for you know, wow, about getting his his hidden math skills that no one knows. He's like this PhD candidate at one point in mathematics. So he's a he's a really, really bright guy. I know you know, but he's also a great modeler. And so I want him to model some of my things. So as now soon as I'm, fantasy I'm, football's I'm, over, Ray. As soon yeah, as the I, football season's over, I'll have all I, kinds of time I, for that. I, I, I'm, I'm publicly outing you now so that we can actually get <laughs> some really new paradigms because I actually I think we have the ability to uh, to change the paradigm. Back to Penn, um, so we met through through that many years ago. He helped us when we were doing zero G and commercializing space. He he's been there all along, and you know he just needed help. And literally, I you know I he was he was uh, he was knocking on death's door. You know he uh, I I didn't realize how sick he was. I was probably in retrospect foolish for taking it on, but the fact of the matter is, by everyone's count, he is unbelievably more healthy today. You know, I, he'll, he'll send little snippets from his journal, uh, from, you know, how he felt for the last 20 years. And he basically felt like shit every single day. And he got up and grinded through it because that's what hard workers do. Um, but now life, he says is just so much more full of joy, so much more full of love. His disposition has changed quite a bit, which is really interesting. I mean, it's a sort of a side thing. So, 
Uh, and, you know, he just is happy. You know, he's happy with his diet, happy with the new food. He eats, you know, primarily a nutritarian diet at this point. Um, and uh, he doesn't diet. He just eats. And so, um, you know, that's that's been a really, really, really a benefit. And, I, you know, it's I, I want to see them for many, many more years because they are – Penn and Teller are two very, very influential people in my life, in my past, and I, I'm honored to have known them for so long. But, but what they do for everybody in terms of making people really think about the basics is uh, is just amazing. So, cool. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some of these nutrition topics, Ray. While yeah. we still got time, you've you mentioned a little bit the, the this deficiency eating idea, and it was from you who really I kind of learned the term overnutrition and that's that's what our problem is even more than than the sedentary lifestyle that seem you know people seem to focus more on that that that's the problem with us now uh, and i've heard even in one of your papers i was reading uh, an interesting idea that that you know maybe we don't move all that much less than our ancestors did as everyone just assumes automatically that we do um so it, it seems that nutrition i mean at least i would imagine you'd agree with this that nutrition is the real problem uh and it's one of overnutrition not undernutrition Right. And, and over and, and overnutrition can also be wrong nutrition too. So lo, let's think about it this though. So if we imagine the three boxes that we probably all have in our head, our head is in the middle box is healthy eating. And then on the one side is going to be overeating. And on the uh, left side is going to be undereating. You know, you basically go immediately from normal eating to anorexia or eating disorder. And from there to being fat and obese. Okay. That's the way everybody wants to think about eating. And that may be an okay definition uh, in our modern society when at any point in time in your life there's hundreds or millions of calories you know just a few feet away or the next exit you know away from you but think about it from a from a biology perspective you know what's really in the world the world is really scarce so actually there's another box that really needs to be added to that. And that is between normal eating and under eating, there's called restrictive eating. And it's a pretty big box. And the reason why it's a big box is because there's a lot of times in history, and you can imagine our in our historic past, that you know, we just didn't have food for periods of time. And, and our body's designed to cope with that stress. Well, just like your training mat, when you're doing training for your runs, you're biologically stressing the muscle. And through hormesis, that muscle, that tissue is growing back stronger and able to cope with it even more. And so, you know, when you were doing these ultras, you know, some of it was technique and some of it was, you know, was was uh, strength. But certainly you had to train yourself to do a certain amount of physical capacity. And that came from biological stress. You could read all the books you wanted and think about it. But you couldn't just suddenly go out and do something, you know, for most people. There may be some exceptions. But the point is, is that, you know, our digestive tract and our body, our biology is somewhat the same. It turns out that that stress of not eating, or if you think about it conceptually, metabolic winter is cool, dark, still, and scarce, you know. Metabolic summer is bright, warm, active, and abundant. You know, every problem to every nutritional problem or perceived nutritional problem or illness or whatever is one of metabolic summer. Let's put more bright in the bright light therapy for seasonal affective disorder. Let's swallow more nutrients. Let's do juicing. Let's do cleansing. We need we need more, more, more. We got to detox our body. We got to pour more, pour more, swallow, 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 move, swallow, move. And the point is, is that our bodies need a break. Just like our brain needs a break at sleep at night. 
And if you think about the seasons and think about the fact that every other living organism responds to the seasons, and what are the seasons? Temperature, light, the photo period of day, and food availability. That's it. That's the only input a, bio a biological system has. And yet those clocks are strong, just as strong as our circadian clocks. You know, Matt, from traveling internationally, you can't just suddenly reset it. So my question is, okay, what happens when winter never comes? That's the paper that Matt referred to earlier, the metabolic winter hypothesis. And the idea that we're chronically in metabolic summer, we're always warm, we're always overfed, we're always active, we're always in bright light. So what happens when we just sort of restrict a little bit? And what's really amazing is for the last 80 years, we've been doing this with biology and we've always seen increase in health span, increase in, in lifespan. And so that's the place when we talk about overnutrition, I'm talking about the idea that from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night, and remember, that biological process of, di di of digestion goes on for many hours after you swallowed last. It goes on. That we are in the chronically fed state all day long, every day. We are a society of one continuous meal that takes breaks to sleep and work. Other than that, we're swallowing. We get together with somebody, we're swallowing. We're, we're always eating all the time. And so the question is what happens when you take a pause or a break? Wow. So, okay. I'm Ray, a question for you. I, this, I haven't thought of this before, but is when you say metabolic winter, I, I've always sensed that that was kind of a metaphor, and, and it sort of meant that we should be having these, these winters all the time now and then. From what you just said, it kind of means what you're saying is basically just literally you mean the winter, that, that it's just that we don't have – we don't experience the winter like we used to. Are you talking about the, truly the seasons, or do you mean that, that also in our summertime we're, we're also getting too much summer in the summertime? No, no. So what I'm saying is, is that there's two things. There is a metaphor that I'm using to make it easy to remember. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to couch the kinds of biolog biological stresses that you might have during winter and suggest that we never have them ever. So we live in chronic metabolic summer. So even our, even our summers should be more winter-like. It's not that they need to be more winter-like. It's just we need to find some periods where we have a little less food. We need to find that's some what, periods where I mean. we have, have a little less. You might want to do it in the summer. You might want to do it in winter. It doesn't have to be tied to the seasons. What I'm saying is we've engineered the season out of our lives. Okay, so I don't think that you have to have it every winter, or every December. What I'm suggesting, though, is is let's look at the active. A lot of us blame our blame our weight gain on the fact that during the winter months we can't go out and train as much. Okay, so think about that. You know, you're not going to gain weight if you don't have extra food. So it's not that you're not training as much; it's that you're not scaling back your eating to meet what your training or activity is. Mm -hmm. That's the real problem. You can't out-exercise your mouth, and you you know this, Matt. You know from your experience, you know, and um, you definitely have to eat to train. But once you stop that training in the winter, that's not it's not your knee injury that caused you to go gain weight. It's because you continue to eat as if you were fueling this mm -hmm. marathon body that is the problem, and so. You know, that's an example where we all and then so what do we do? Well, then we go into these combined spaces and we exercise really hard during the to, during the winter, too. And now we're chronically active all year. If you're chronically active, you have to chronically fuel. If you chronically fuel, you're chronically in the fed state. And the question is, is there a downside to that? 
And I don't think anyone knows the, the, the definitive answer. I say it's a question worth asking. You know, is it because we're not, you know, you know, that we're not active enough or is it because we're overactive in our nutritional habits? And what I would say what we offer up as at least evidence is that you can change your diet and not start exercising and lose weight. Yeah. But if you start exercising and don't change your diet, there are tons of fat marathon runners out there. And, that, and I'm not saying that in a condescending way. I'm saying there are I see I see fitness trainers that are that are overweight, clearly overweight, you know, mm-hmm. and they're just in denial because they are running and they're getting all this stuff. And I'm not against the sports. I'm not against the activity or against exercise. I'm just saying that cognitive dissonance sits there and they're okay with the fact that they're still overnourished. You know, if you have excess body tissue, adipose tissue is an endocrine organ. It's hormonally active. It's not just neutrally there. So, so, you know, and we've talked about it, even Matt, you know, remember when we were in the bar that time, you know, in Nashville, we were talking about the weight that I gained because I was about to do, you know, a very long test, you know, and, and it's a fair question ask, right? It is fair. I'm now, I'm now at the lowest weight I've been as, in my adult life. So at 155, I'm at, I have not been at this weight since uh, probably the mid to late 80s, you know, and, 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 you know, and I still have a couple of extra pounds that I could probably lose. I mean, I'm not going for the chisel ab thing. I don't need to do the shirts off, you know, book thing. I, I don't, I, I'm not going that way. I want to do the science of it. What I'm saying is, that fat has a downside. Does, it, does that make sense? So that's what I mean by metabolic winter, the fact that we just never have times of scarcity, never have times of rest, you know, and I yeah. mean true rest. Yeah, and that's, that's interesting because I've, I've heard you kind of – I've asked you in previous episodes of whether, whether do, we, do we need exercise or do we not need it at all. And you've said that, yeah, like you don't want to be misinterpreted. You actually do think it's a useful thing for long-term health. Um, but it's interesting to hear you say that, you know, like when we talk about – obesity almost nobody's saying we need to be less active at any time i mean we say we're not active enough we're too right. sedentary so it's right. really interesting that that you're saying it's not just that you know that that it's nutrition it's that there actually is a time to not be active and therefore right. eat less and most of us are ignoring that because of the way the world is now right and and most importantly all the people all the clients i've worked including Penn, i tell them to suspend their activity because if you're active what are you doing you're tearing down the tissue and you need to rebuild it, right? But if you're if you're in a time of deficit, a time of scarcity, you want to conserve. You know, so one of the fundamental things that I noticed about nature is this, and that is in nature, animals conserve and they only eat enough to support their activity. Mm-hmm. What we seem to do is that we're active to support our eating. Right. And I think that that's backwards. So if I'm not deficient in anything after 24 days or 21 was where my blood test was taken, I'm not deficient in vitamin D. I'm not deficient in B12. I'm not deficient in any amino acids. We did my amino acids on the seventh day, 24 hours a day, every four hours, and I had all the amino acids in all the right ratios, and they were following the circadian clock. Um, we did, uh, you know, I did uh, cytokine panels for inflammation. I did uh, IGF-1, and I did... Uh, fasting, my glucose was just fine. You know, I, I, my glucose levels remain fine. You know, so what I'm I did 24 hour urine collections to know exactly what my nitrogen loss was with DEXA scans. If after 21 days I'm not deficient in anything, 
what does it matter if you eat one or five meals in that particular day when you're in a time of deficit and you're just trying to bring those calories down, bring that that delta down, you know, this idea that I have the I'm holding on to the diet that you can swallow the most most stuff and stuff your belly with and still lose weight is to me a crazy idea. Cuz the goal isn't to swallow and stuff our bellies with the most food. The goal is healthfulness. That's the only reason we really should eat. And I'm not saying social eating's wrong. I'm just saying the real biological reason we eat is to nourish ourselves and to live a long, happy, healthy life. But I would venture to guess most people, even health food people, they primarily eat because of social conditioning, because of who they're with, when they're when it's time, what they have, what their vacation is, what what you know, it's everything but really health. And then when they get on health, they think swallowing more, 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 more is going to help it. Yet there's no experiments, there's no data that suggests that approach works. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The whole food as entertainment issue is is it's interesting. I mean, for a while, I I would read that the idea of food as entertainment, and I would think, no, that's not me. I'm not. You know, I eat I eat for health reasons, and I eat because for running and all this other stuff. But as I've changed the way I eat to, to something so much simpler and, and the cooking far less extravagant, very little oil. We went, we've gone for months and months with no oil at all. And I realized that even when I thought I wasn't eating for entertainment, that was still entertainment. And, and right. I think that's a lot like what you're saying. People don't think they're eating because of social conditioning, but so much of the things that you habitually do, uh, they, they do, you do them because that's what you do when you go see other people, you go and eat, or that's, you know, we eat these three meals a day because that's what we do. Uh, I think that's a really, really good point. Right. And, and like exercise, we'll just keep putting this in here so as to not be misquoted. I'm not saying don't eat for entertainment. I'm saying if that's the only reason you're eating, um, then the fact of the matter is is that you're likely overnourished. You know, you're right. likely eating in times when you really don't need to. You know, a lot of our and, – and, and this will be in our next paper. It will certainly be in a book. A lot of the food that we eat leaves our body as waste heat. And it, it provides no purpose. And they were talking a hundred years ago about superfluous food. You know, food that was economically wasteful because we were in a time when food was was sixty percent of the family family's annual income. And they were talking about wasteful, gluttonous kinds of eating. Well, that describes all of us today in an environment where the annual family in, family spends about six to eight percent of their 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 income on food. So. Again, I don't think I'm not saying, you know, you know, go in a cave and and come out on double coupon Tuesday and and that's the only time you eat and it's got to be just enough and you got to measure out four nuts and three apple skins or whatever. That's crazy pants. I don't do that. I eat amazing meals when I do eat. What I don't do is I, I I'm just as comfortable getting together and 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 Matt, we had this experience and talked about it where we had had our small meal and you saw what I, I didn't have anything because I didn't need anything at that moment when you had food that day. Remember, right. yep. we went to a sushi Chinese restaurant yep. and, and I just had a simple thing because I didn't need it. And I told you I wasn't we wanted to get together. We didn't want to eat later. Well, we had to go with that group of people out and everybody wanted to eat again. And and both of us were laughing because neither one of us really needed to eat. We just wanted to hang out with friends and talk. But we experienced that real time. I think that was the first time I think where it really resonated with you because you watched it happen right in front of you. Yeah, definitely. You know? And like there was this whole ordeal about where are we going to go eat and what's got the right food and where was and all we all wanted to do was hang around and talk. Which, and uh, you know, and drink. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 um, 
so we had so we had a you, I just feel like uh that was a um it, I just feel like that was a um was you know a moment where you really saw it with clarity yeah oh yeah and not that any of that was bad or what they wanted to do was bad but the fact is is that that was repeated at every single book stop you had Yep, you're right, and it is so so conditioned that you don't think anything of it. that. That's what you do when you get together with people: is you go out and eat and drink, and and that's otherwise what else would you do, right? I mean, that's <laughs> right, and that's, that's how really it is. not, and that's not what we're getting to do. We're getting together to have conversation. I mean, humans are about poetry; they're about music; they're about you know performance; they're about you know you know all these kinds of condition, love, you know, and and relationships, um, but. Every one of them have become so inextricably intertwined with food um, that if you're trying to make a major change in yourself, you're, you're finding that you're disrupting your friends. Uh, you're interrupting. Uh, you're interrupting the kinds of uh, you know meaningful um, friendships that you have because the food gets in the way. And yet, it turns out those aren't the reasons why you have those friends. You know, I mean, you have them for so many other reasons. And I just feel like we've buried. So many social things in this in this overwhelming lump of of, of this giant meal and uh, and even activity the whole reason that you're being active and exercise is important but what have we done we've deluged everybody with supplements and protein shakes and you know more food and more thing and eating for nutrition and eating for performance well you know that's we've never extended life by giving the uh, mice just you know exercise and feeding overfeeding them to support it. You know, so, you know, it's it's puzzling that we have 80 years of really amazing data and yet every social cue is against that. Have you looked, Ray, at, at how that evolved? Like, like why? I mean, when you talk about supplements and, and all that stuff, they, that came because because people saw an opportunity to make money, I think, and, and then started saying it became that you need this stuff. Same with running shoes and all that stuff. But I mean – Eating around food, do you think it's the same thing or is it just is it just that we just haven't known until now that that, that might be a bad thing and it yeah. was fun and easy so we didn't – you know why not do it? So, so consumerism without a doubt plays a big role. But one of the things I'm really trying to do in this book is there are no villains. It's not sugar or fat. It's not protein, carbs or fat. It's not eat meat, don't eat meat. It's not greedy corporations. It's not GMO. It's not you – know, pick your favorite thing, organic, inorganic. You know, whatever, pesticide free, just pick your favorite villain, Monsanto, evil companies, drug companies, big pharma, doctors don't care. Every single solitary villainous assault that you've seen in the past, you won't see it in this book because I, I'm trying to get down the basics. So I think consumerism plays a role, you know, people wanting to sell you things. There's nothing wrong with it. You want to sell certain things. I want to sell certain things. That's OK. People have a choice. But you know, sort of superimposed on top of that is also this idea or concept that there is a fundamental need to eat, unlike running, for example. You know, you don't need to run. You can re- you know, live a whole healthful life and not run. We don't have many tigers jumping out against us. So that skill isn't particularly tied to survival, right? So mm-hmm. but we do have everyone has to eat. And I think Part of it is what we said in that paper, and, and I'm investigating that in, a, in, in the book form where I don't have to go. I can be a little bit more general and, 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 and you know, be more anecdotal than I have to be for a peer-reviewed paper. But I think the idea of nutritionism, I first heard that term from Michael Pollan, and I think nutritionism drives a lot of it. 
I think that there really was a time of deficiency and we really were getting nutri nutritionally deficient in terms of our barely having enough food to eat. A lot of people, a lot of children die by the age of, you know, of, of, of 410, you know. Um, but in the post-infectious disease world and the post-sterilized world and the post, you know, you know, you know, modern day of eating, um, I don't think people are as deficient as they once were, but I think deficiency became the way we market food to people. So, you know, the common question I like to ask people is, hey, you know, uh, you know, what, what's a good source of potassium? And so your answer is? Bananas. Right, right. And on a list of a thousand items, I think the last time I checked, it was 961. It may have been 941. But on the UF, you just put bananas, nutrition, potassium, <laughs> and get a list from the USDA. It's like number 961 or 941 out of 1,000. Okay? It's like not even in top 100. I mean, it's not even close. Right. Now, at some point – now, do bananas have potassium? Sure they do. Right? But that's not the point. So at some point, someone decided to start saying that. Now, even very trained, educated nutritionists, other people will give that answer. And they're not wrong, but they're not correct either. And the answer is there's many, many things above on potassium, leafy greens, all kinds of things that you can get potassium, potatoes. I mean, there's lots of things you can get potassium from. The point I'm making is not that we're you know, potassium deficient, but that the fact that when food has a meaning outside of it's what it really is. We start ascribing values to it. So as you well know, Matt, I am very much against the words protein, carbs, and fat. If I had my way, I would eradicate those words from meal planning completely. And I'll give you an example why. Because if I say, quote, a carb, okay, so what am I talking about? Am I talking about a whole food starch like a squash or something that we would find in legumes? Am I talking about a refined sugar? Am I talking about some simple sugars that we find in fruit? Am I talking about cotton? Because cotton's a carbohydrate. It's a carbohydrate that moths eat. Now, we don't have the enzyme to eat it, but it's a carbohydrate. Now, the chitin of crab shells. Once again, it's a carbohydrate in organic chemistry. My daughter's in organic, in Orgo 1 this quarter. She's learning about carbohydrate structure. She's like, Dad, all these things. Wood is a carbohydrate. You're right. Wood is cellulose. I blog about this, and termites eat wood. They get the same glucose. Cows eat grass. Where do they get – what do they get? Everybody's worried about where they get their protein. The real question is how do they eat grass? And that's because a fermentation process in the rumen allows them to digest the cellulose, which is fiber, the stuff that goes through us and helps us in other ways. They actually break it down to the glucose unit. So grass is like a baked potato to a, to a, to a cow. You know, so the point I'm making is, okay, well, then what did the word carbohydrate mean? Well, what we said in our paper, it allows you to equate. And what we would say is iso, like an isosceles triangle having similar sides. It's isocaloric, meaning it has the same amount of calories, but it's not isometabolic because clearly refined sugar and starch from a, a legume or from a potato is not same metabolically. They're not metabolically in any way. They, they, they act very differently. They have a very different glucose profile. They have a very different a metabolic profile. And so by calling something a carb and counting carbs and looking at carbs and if they're carbs and are there carbs there and they're carbs, it is, it, it's like defining humans and saying we're water. We're 60% water, so we're obviously, we're water. Humans are water. You know, we got you know, to have more water. You know, we're water. We're water. And it's just obsessive. And that's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like complete nonsense. And the same with the word protein. You know, we've had this 
discussion before, but this is real simple. You know, proteins are simply strands of amino acids. There's 20 of them, just like there's 26 letters in the alphabet. Let's forget six for a minute. Of those 20 amino acids, there's nine of them that are like Wheel of Fortune by a vowel. You only get them through diet. And that's the only place you get them. And not only do you not only get them from diet, but all animals share that problem. So what organisms produce all 20? Plants, because they do it through nitrogen fixation. They take nitrogen from either the fertilizer you're putting on them. They create all 20 amino acids. You eat the plant or eat the animal that ate the plant, but the amino acids and the nutrition came from the plants. Animals appropriate. They concentrate nutrition. They can be nutritious, but they don't create it. There's really nothing that you have to have in an animal. Can you get it from an animal? Yeah, you can. And there's some things you can get a lot of. You know, If you eat a, a, a cow's liver, you're going to get B12 because that's where we store liver. And if you eat a human liver, you'd get it too. But you can also get B12 from a supplement if you just choose not to have liver in your diet or other kinds of things. So the point I'm making is, is that with proteins, those nine amino acids, you can get them from plants. You can get them from meat. You can get them from, you know, dairy or all those things. You absolutely can. But what's really amazing that most people don't know is that those very amino acids that are limited, you know, where everybody's worried about complete proteins that are limited in plants, happen to be the same amino acids that we need to restrict for longevity. Mm. We need to restrict methionine. We need to restrict leucine, one of the branch chain amino acids that people are gulping down by the, the mouthfuls after workouts, thinking they're helping themselves. Now, paradoxically, those same amino acids increase fecundity, and fecundity or fecund means to you know reproduction rate. So while they at the same time, if you're in your reproductive prime, and you're trying to reproduce, you want to increase the low dose. So that's a signal from nature. You know, things are plenty. There's a lot of lot of resources. But when we want to live longer and increase health span and decrease age-related disease, we actually want to restrict these amino acids. You know? Would you say so, right? I, I can imagine someone just listening to this and saying, well, that so that explains why the paleo diet appears to be good in the short term. But why we think it's bad in the short term? Would you say is that an oversimplification, or is that? No, I, I would say if if I were going to try to, you know, so first of all, let's let's start with a qualification. This is now our our third one. Um, I believe anyone on any diet, I'm going to um, recognize and um, applaud because at least they care about what they eat. And I would think, you know, this is one of the, this is ones that became very strong after your blog, um, um, Matt. So I give you a lot of credit to this, but, and we talked about this. I believe, you know, I think the diet that I'm eating now is as optimal as from what I can tell is. But what I see is the standard Western diet, the average person just doesn't care what they swallow. They just eat anything, completely acquired appetite. And I see sort of a, a, a stepwise approach where people are adding more and more and more and more and more plant-based nutrition until they hit veganism. And then they go back to the beginning, like the little slide in, in, in ropes and ladders or whatever that thing was we played with, with our kids, right? They slide right back to sugar, salt, and fat, and they start eating westernized, fat, fatty, western, nasty diet without animal products in it, okay? Mm. That's okay. my observation, okay? But I would keep going. 
and I, I think at some point, you know, Joel Furman with his nutritarian diet is about as close as we can get, and he will even tell you there's some things that he doesn't know, but it's optimal. So you're adding more and more and more plant density as we go. And one of the benefits of adding plant density to come back to what you're saying with a paleo diet or whatever is that you are beginning to restrict amino acids naturally, okay? The problem is, is that it doesn't take much animal product to get an excessive amount. And the good news from a survival means, if you want to use this paleolithic story, and that's what it is, it's a story, if you want to use this, the fact is, is okay, that means with a very little bit, you could get by. Because they didn't have masses excessives of Mm -hmm. excessiveness. But here's the big point. You know, I turned 51 on Sunday. And most people don't guess my age when they see me. I look way more youthful than I am. And I've changed a lot over a decade, okay? So my looks have changed a lot over the decade since I've been eating or since I've been eating and more, more and more progressively this way. But the things that I'm facing of age-related disease do not exert an evolutionary pref- pressure because my children are already born and are growing up. In other words... The, the one sentence that says, hey, look, paleolithic diet, it doesn't matter what we ate in the past because all that meant is you reproduced. Once you've reproduced, you've passed on your genes and the things that we're facing is not surviving to reproduce, which they were having a problem with you know, a couple hundred years ago. They weren't even making it long enough to actually have offspring. So we're not having that problem. And the things that I'm facing – uh, metabolic disease, metabolic syndrome, heart disease, cancers, autoimmune diseases. These are things that are after reproductive prime. So they exert no evolutionary preferences. So there is no evolutionary diet. It's a ridiculous notion to begin with. <laughs> Just because we can eat something to survive doesn't mean we should. And this is the big mistake, and I see a lot of really smart people falling trapped to that because they believe in the beautiful story. And I'm telling you, I've had some beautiful stories that really kicked me in the ass a couple of times. But I thought it was a beautiful story and the data just wasn't there. So, you know, I think that they are getting some benefit and they feel virile. They feel testosterone, all that, you know, they're all, it's all the, you know, that all those kinds of things that are part of being feckin', being at your reproductive prime. I don't think it's a way to live if you want to live a long healthful lifespan, you know, and I think most people when they're young just can't conceive of that time when they're 50, 60 or 70. And I can say that, you know, you, you still feel very youthful if you're eating the right way. Yeah. And you look youthful too. Like you said, I mean, if if anyone goes to your Kickstarter video, you'll see every time I see you, Ray, you look younger. Uh, (laughs) and I really, when I watched this, I was like, wow, he looks really young and good. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. And and it's it's food. It's it's plants. And it's not what I'm eating. It's what I'm not eating. So you know, what, so sorry. Right. Just just because we haven't really said that you eat a mostly vegan diet. I don't think explicitly here. Um yeah. And I know you don't believe in use the word vegan because of what you said. It kind of tends to lead people towards the junk food vegan, or at least to think that that's right. okay if it, as long as it's vegan. Yeah. Uh, but is yeah. is nutritarian? Is that that to you what kind of yeah. the optimal is as far as yeah. we know right now? So I will go first, if you go to a paper, the food triangle, I eat on the right side of the food triangle, which means um, I, I, my, my plate, what I mostly put in my body every day is leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, stems like celery, asparagus, those kinds of things, bulbs, onions, you know, onions, garlic, those kinds of, those kinds of foods, and, um, and uh, mushrooms. Okay, so that's the massive, the massive amount of food that I eat every day is mainly those things. 
Then I add energy density, and you can in our paradigm you can end it add it down the left side, which would be the animal products, or you can add the right side products. Okay, and so sorry, Ray, this guy went out for a second. I heard you say the left side is animal products, the right side is what? Okay, so um, so once you start at the top, the apex, and have those basis of that's the most volume of food you eat a day. Then down the left side we would have animal products and down the right side we have we've organized it with plant products and we're not using protein carbs and fat really okay so um down the right side you're going to have things like you know your your pulses you know you know pulses legumes right uh you're going to have cereals which are all the you know grass seeds rice quinoa all those kinds of things millet whatever you're going to have a starchy vegetables going to have squash um and so i would start with the more nutritious of them so I love rice, and rice is sort of a junk food to me. Um, uh, but I'm cautious with it because rice also happens to be uh, rice also happens to be contaminated with arsenic. A lot of rice is because of the chicken feces they put on it to fertilize it. So it's not that rice isn't necessarily bad. It's not that it's going to make you fat. It's not that you can't stuff your bellies with it and not get fat. It's not that 1.6 billion Asians aren't wrong. That's not the point. It's just there's nothing really in rice that I need most of the time unless I'm making a food that's, you know, it's a rice kind of dish. And I'll do it in that case. I'm not against it. So the four elements of nutrition, the way Joel lays them out, and I think he's done it pretty well. It's the, the very Joel top Furman, of, by the way. Yeah, Joel Furman. Is, is at the very top, we want foods that are you know nutrient-dense, uh, but I would say nutrient-sufficient because we don't need excesses, so we don't need to eat liver, um, and with minimum calories. So we want a, enough nutrition with the minimum amount of calories that we need to support our activity. That's the first layer. The second layer is we want to make sure that we have a comprehensive nutrient adequacy, meaning not every single day, every meal that has to have everything in it. I got to have my green smoothie. I have to have this. I don't, don't be psycho about food. Over a day, a week, a month, you need to have it. So for example, I eat four Brazil nuts a month. Why? Because of the selenium in them. And you can, there's a really great video on this if you go to nutritionfacts.org with Dr. Michael Greger. Uh, the selenium in it, it apparently loads four, four, four Brazil nuts, just uh, 20 grams uh, one time dose lowered blood pressure like twenty points, and that to me is my name. So I, I have I don't eat them by the handfuls, but I I have them sometimes, right? Um, but anyway, so you want comprehensive nutrient adequacy. The third thing is you want your food to be hormonally favorable. You know why don't I eat dairy? It's not because I don't like ice cream. It's not because I'm worried about grass fed cows or worried about anything. It's just because dairy is hormonally active. That's what milk is. It doesn't matter if you milk a cow, your wife. Uh, a dog or whatever. It is baby growth formula. That's what it is. It's designed to it, to enhance or to to set off IGF-1 and growth hormone, two things that in papers on longevity we want to minimize. It's designed to be a kind of fuel to fuel things to grow. And I don't need to do that now, and I certainly don't want to concentrate all those hormonally active proteins in something called cheese and swallow it um, because I don't need that anymore. I, I just found things that I enjoy more than that. You know, it's not anything more than that. And, you know, all dairy is, has a hormonal activity. And so we don't need it. So we want things that are hormonally favorable. Uh, and then finally, we want at the bottom base, and, the, and I say this is the last thing you do, is you want things that, you know, aren't uh, really concentrating environmental toxins. So you heard me mention earlier about the arsenic and, um, and, um, Rice. And of course, I love salmon, you know, and I would have salmon occasionally sushi with my son. My son, Danner, loves uh, sushi. Um, And so I would occasionally have that. But 
meat, all most fish is contaminated with mercury. So I want to limit that, you know? So when I, when my daughter, Erin, who's my middle child, you know, she's my runner, you know, so she, I know we've, we've talked about, she's my runner. She eats a perfect plant-based diet. She loves plant-based nutrition, but I always have to make sure I tell her, Hey, look, there are some things you could be deficient in. And I want to make sure that you supplement on those right things. So when I'm looking at a diet, I'm looking at trying to be optimal. And that also includes meal frequency. So my kids, they eat all day long because they're still growing. They need to. Um, but for me, I don't eat all day long. I eat one or two meals a day and some days I don't eat at all. If I go to a restaurant with a group of people to socialize and there's not a good choice on the menu, a lot of times that's vegan restaurants, there's not a good choice on the menu, then I'll simply not eat. Now, as Penn says, it's easier to eat healthy at a steakhouse than it is at a vegan restaurant for the most part. You know, there's some exceptions, Panavino and Las Vegas. Uh, one of the, the things on a Kickstarter that got started, if you ever get to Las Vegas and go there, walk in, go to, Vin, uh, go to the, the, the Vincento, I think his name is, and, and, and say to him, hey, listen, um, I eat uh, plant-based diet. Will you fix me something? You have the most amazing meal. Tell him you want sugar, oil, fat-free, and he'll fix it for you and will love it. He's lost 50-something pounds or something. Amazing story, and they do amazing meals. But there's some places like that. But other than that, you know, Matt, it's all vegan junk food. They've just used it as a new part of nutritionism to bring this full loop back to Michael Pollan. Now vegan, kale is the new word, just like organic, just like local fresh, just like vitamin donuts, just like wheat versus beef and protein. And you can go all the way back and I'll tell all these stories. And every generation has this new set of, you know, potassium and bananas. Right. right. Does that make, did I close that up or? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, I do want to clarify things. Though. Okay. So uh, Penn's joke, I don't, I mean, I, I understand, of course, vegan restaurants, if they're just called vegan restaurants, there's a lot of vegan junk food there. What is he getting at the steakhouse that's, that's healthier than that? that just that a steam potato? Veg- oh, steamed vegetables. You know, if you actually ask a steakhouse most of the time to say, hey, you talk to the chef, especially a good one, and say, look, I, I'm, on, I'm on a restrictive diet. I want, you know, st- you look at the side dishes that are on, the, on there and say, I'd really like this made without oil, without any added sodium. I'm restricting oil and sodium in my diet. Could you do me a big vegetable plate? Most of the time, my vegetable plates are everybody at the table goes, holy crap, that looks amazing. You know, right. and they're having these little fillets, you know, with a couple of asparagus floated in butter you know, whatever, but they always have that food. And, and remember the sauce is usually the last thing that goes on. So, you know, they don't cook asparagus in oil. Now, sometimes they'll spray them or whatever, but I just say, Hey, I don't want the oil and they'll just steam them, you know, or, or grill them or whatever. And so, you know, you'll find that most of these restaurants don't mind if you'll just ask them. Now, in Europe, obviously, this isn't the case, you know, because they have a different culture about, you know, food, but in in the United States, most chefs will be very, very happy to accommodate that, especially when you say sodium. If you say, if you don't, if you say, hey, I eat vegan, I'm not eating animals, and you're at the steakhouse, now you've just created an ideological slam mm-hmm. that you didn't need to catch. Right. All you need to say is, hey, look, I'd like, to, I'd like to have a really amazing vegetable plate, and I'm really trying to limit my salt intake. Always say salt first because they immediately think that's a real thing, and it is a real thing. But what I'm saying is they respond to it a different way. Right. And I really want to keep oils to – I'd rather not have any oil at all. Could you do that? 
and and they'll be they'll they'll be glad they'll almost always do it and they'll almost make always make a balsamic you know reduction where they'll just do something that's glazed or looks good but you know not again not perfect but way better than the coconut cream sugar vegan free chocolate double pie that you're going to get and everybody thinks they feel good because you know it didn't have eggs in it i'm like well, really this is like everything i don't eat right Right. You know? So okay, and that's the other thing I wanted to know is is I I mean last I talked to you I think you said you eat vegan or plant based or nutritarian a hundred percent of the time I think but what you just said about salmon you said you would eat it if not for the mercury so do you eat animal products sometimes and and if no, so like yeah, what's okay, the occasion so, yeah so I think that's an important point my my dialogue with people especially the people that are changing a lot is rare and appropriate and rare and appropriate is people and places not times between events okay so. I can say in my life, it gives me license and freedom to say there's nothing that I wouldn't eat in the future in a rare and appropriate setting. Mm -hmm. So like I just said, my son, he really likes sushi. Now, most of the time we fix sushi, we can fix sushi at home. We can do a plant-based version of sushi. We do, you know, if you go to Beyond Sushi, again, this is not health food, Beyond Sushi in Manhattan, you can get the Enoki-Doki roll there. It's really, really good. Um, there's lot, they do all plant-based sushi at beyond sushi, uh, mm. there. So I recommend you try it sometime. It's decadent stuff, not health food, but, but, but there's ways to do it. But the point is, is that, you know, he's going to make his decision in his life. My daughter's made that decision and she is not eating. She doesn't eat animal products. You know, every now and then she might have, you know, something or try something, but it's not, it's just a rare, rare, rare thing for her. Um, but he's not there. And but he's mostly eating all plants. He mostly you know eats you know legumes and beans and 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 vegetables and those things. And so if I'm gonna have that meal, I'm not gonna have sushi with you. And I said that to you that day, and that was all those years ago. I said I'm not gonna have sushi right now because if I were gonna have sushi, I'd not want to have it with my son because he mm-hmm. just enjoys it that much. Um, so so you know I can tell you as little as six servings of animal products brought my type two diabetes back. If that get, and I don't want type two diabetes, so it doesn't take much. In my case, it doesn't take much. I also obviously have a genetic predisposition. There's a lot of other things. It's not simply animal products, but it's a huge contributing cause. And within that amount of time, I could do the same thing probably with coconut oil too. It wouldn't matter the saturated fat I used. I could accom- I could accumulate those intermyocellular lipids relatively rapidly with a, plants or. Um, or with um, you know refined oils or with animal products, but my point is is that in both times when I gained weight, the little bit of weight I gained, it didn't take much to to set me over the edge, and suddenly I have poor glucose control. So um, so that's what I mean. So the answer is, I, I eat a nutritarian diet would be the the statement I eat. But my book isn't about nutritarian diet. I mean, I've debated even talking about it because I want to talk about a bigger picture, you know? Okay. And so, so, but, you know, what I've told you in the past is that, you know, like, for example, I'm not real big supporter of people going just to fruit. Again, just like the paleo argument, just because we can survive on it doesn't mean we thrive on it. And Joel's had issues with people that are just eating fruit. That doesn't mean you don't know someone who is doing great, feeling great, tons of push-ups, can you know, you know, bench press a cow, whatever. I don't care. That's not what's going to happen when they're 50, 60, 70, 80, when the age-related disease sits in. And so having something that's nutritionally superior, I think that's what Joel Foreman has focused on. And I think he's really, really nailed it on many, many of the points. 
Good. Okay. I like it, Ray. I wish we could talk about this stuff forever, and we'll have That's you back on for sure. Um, let's talk about the book, though. It's called Our Broken Plate, and it's pretty much a, a 30-day diet plan with you chiseled abs on the cover, right? Yeah, exactly. Large publishing house. Exactly, exactly. You know, <laughs> you know as – so, so I didn't want to write a diet book. I had a, I had offers, good offers to write a diet book. Obviously, with Penn Jillette on board, and he's writing a book uh, called Presto that'll be out. That's our story. It's a story about well, it's his story about him, but I'm sort of cray ray on every single page, you know, because of all the things that I sort of did with him. And he said he used to say ruined him, but now he says I fixed him. Um, but anyway, so uh, he'll have his book. They'll probably I think his is coming out in the fall. I'm not sure exactly. I'm not dealing with the publisher house. Mine is going to deal specifically with the relationship. And a lot of those things we talked about, I'm taking my paper, the current paper, the second paper, which Matt, you know more about, that's really going to be, it's going to really give a lot of people a, a, a disruption. It's not what they think about food. It's going to really shock the way they think about nutrition. And then even the third paper that's coming out on type 2 diabetes is going to be even more disruptive in that field. But I'm going to expand these topics and make it a layman term. I'm not going to be every sentence is a footnote. I'm going to use my own writing. I'm going to, you know, I'm I'm not going to write an academic tome. It's not going to be a science journal. It's going to have a lot of science in it. I'm going to have some great references for people and and a point. But I want it to be a point of departure, a new place where we can start a dialogue about this, where we can start, you know, this is inspired, you know, a lot by what you did too, Matt, with that dialogue with the vegan versus paleo. How do we get this discussion to go? And I think you've done such a tremendous job. And and Seth Godin has been such a major influence on me and now on you. And uh, I want to make our, I want to make a ruckus. And I know, and I've learned from listening to him, from looking at you and hearing from other authors that, you know, if this is to be the vision of what I want, I need the people that are listening to you to just go vote and, and, and do it. Because if I sell enough books, any publisher will re bring it out. I'm not cutting off my ability to publish. They just want to sell books, but it is a gamble because, hey, a diet book's a sure bet, and you had to struggle with a lot of this, didn't you, when you wrote your book? Yeah, of course. I mean, and, and there's, and even, even, I mean, I wrote a book that I was happy with, but even so, there, there are pressures along the way when, when you're with a publisher where you, you have to, you know, they don't, they don't want to take risks. I mean, it's, it's how the industry works with most publishers, and, and unfortunately, that's, that's what happens. So I think it's really cool that you're doing this. I'm considering doing the Kickstarter route for my second book, a cookbook, uh, I'm still I'm still just scared to do it <laughs> like all yeah. not 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 to get funded but because I really do believe our audience would would support it but I, you know I, my friend Leo from Zen Habits did that and he it just seemed like so much work to publish it and make it look the way he wanted and then all the covers were wrong and he had to tear them all off and get it done again I was just like right. I just don't know if I can deal with that but I right. I really do respect it I think it's what it's what publishing where it's going right I mean it's right. the future of publishing is is independent authors making their own stuff. Right. And so one of the things that was sponsored right off the bat, I was shocked, but someone immediately bought my design the cover contest. So I'm going to 99designs. They paid for it, and my community is going to get to pick what that cover is going to be, and I'm not going to actually have to worry about that. Yeah. As awesome. well, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to use you right now, and I say, I want everybody to demonstrate to Matt that we actually can do this. So this is my selfish way. I obviously have a vested interest in this, but... I say, hey, if you want to hear this, I mean, Matt has said that. If you want to hear this, I, Matt, will help you, whatever it takes. I will help you to do. And I'm not saying that you don't go to a publisher next. I'm saying that what we do is exactly what Seth did. And as we get enough people to send a message to say, look, this is the book we want. This is the book we want so that you can really write the book you want and let publishers do what publishers do best, distribute. 
you know they think always uh, the market best but i don't know that that's always the case i think we're proving that just like with music used to be you couldn't get on radio without permission there's but today there's no one to say no do good music put it on youtube and you can become a star and they'll do exactly what you want because people are coming so your blog exists what I'm going to be doing exists because people support it. If you want to hear a different story, uh, if you want to, you know, it's not about ide- ideology, but certainly it will resonate and give a lot of information and ammo for those, you know, people that still want to debate. Uh, if you eat a plant-based diet, there'll be a lot of really good information here that that's just broken. I think, you know, I just want that vote of confidence. I, I, and I, my commitment to you guys is that I absolutely am putting my all into this. And I, I think you're going to be happy with the book. Yeah. I mean, I, this, I don't think we've quite gotten across, um, what I know to be true. And that's that, that this book, I mean, uh, you know, it, it's something that you, you want it to be out there and change the world, change the way people think about food, talk about food and eat food. Um, it, it's not just, it's not just, one guy's one guy's opinion about food. I mean, it, it's you going going through history of nutrition and saying where where do we go wrong and, and where do we go right from here forward. Right. More importantly than any of that, though, is that you can get Penn Gillette uh, on your on your voicemail. He will he will be your voicemail <laughs> message if you pledge five hundred dollars or more. Uh, and there were three of those left. So yeah, uh, uh, know, the, the, the biggest one I want to mention to you guys: if any of you guys in in Matt's audience are tech um, and tech startups, and you have a tech startup, or you're thinking about tech startup, you know, one of my former clients, Sam Bannister, is you know by Forbes magazine is one of the three top angel investors in tech. I mean, Uber, PayPal, everybody. She's been in on that. Uh, her and her, her husband Scott Bannister, they've become really great friends. I, I have so much respect for her. But anyway, she offered, because she believes in this big time, she offered, uh, we, we set the first two at 1500 You know, This is dinner with her. She's going to buy you dinner at the Battery. It's an exclusive social club down in San Francisco. And you get to just sit with her at dinner in a relaxed place and pitch her your idea, and she's paying in for the bill. So I'm telling you something. You know, these people line up at tech meetings and at incubator meetings and are looking for their three minutes to just get her attention. And she's like dead and she's heard a hundred ideas and she really doesn't want to talk about stuff anymore. And she'll say, Talk to me later. And I'm like, This is your chance to just hang out, have some great food, and talk about whatever your product is. So she, we offered two more and they're 2,000 bucks a piece. And that's still because she's not viable. So that she's put those out is because she really wants me to make this work. She's so excited about what we're doing. And Matt, you know, she's eating our way too, which is really great and enjoying it, feeling better. And, uh, and really it's, it's just been, been fun to touch all these people's lives and, and doing it in sort of the, a new sort of a new way, you know, a way that I think you hinted to, you know, many years ago. Yep. Yep. Very cool. I'm fascinated by, by just this whole thing. I mean, not not just the nutrition side of it, of course. Which which the stuff that the information that Ray that you have given me has has really changed the way that I look at food. Uh, but the way you're doing it with Kickstarter to me is just it's just such a cool thing that that these huge industries, publishing and music, have kind of uh, toppled down and been been turned on their heads, and that that this right. kind of thing can happen now. Uh, we mentioned the expensive pledge, lots of money, but but you can do much much cheaper. Support the book. Uh, yeah, yeah. Twenty two dollars you get the book. Twenty seven dollars you get a signed copy. I'm shocked. There are people that have given me three, four hundred, even a thousand dollars with no reward. I, I didn't expect that at all. I, I couldn't believe where the, I don't know who they are or why they did it, but they did it. You know? Yeah, that's the that's neat thing about the. I, I've tried not to look at all the people that are coming in, so I'm just sort of looking at. It. But yes, the first awards are twenty two dollars for just the book. For twenty seven, I'll sign it. 
then it goes up and there's a there's a bundle with Penn's book. And I'm not sure when Penn's is coming out, but then the next one is five books. I'll sign one of them and you can give four away if you want to be an influencer. Um, obviously, I'm trying to, at this point in the in the campaign for the final 30 something days. Um, I want to really sell as many books as I possibly can so that this is about that messenger to the publisher, you know, that says, hey, look, this is something good. And and obviously I wouldn't mind flipping this over to a publisher house because they have resources that you and I just don't have, Matt. So I'm not I don't want it in any Maybe way sound you. negative, but they also have they're taking a business risk and it's OK for them to exert control. But if the public speaks first, like they did on Seth Godin's book. And they speak first, and there's a huge outpour. I mean, literally a, a small fraction of your audience could take this way over the top. Then what that means is that, you know, I get to tell my story, and, and that's all I'm asking. And so I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be here and come back three times. It's been great, and I can't wait for our first paper. You and I have a paper coming, and I think it's going to be great that two guys and that were just out there writing blogs or starting to actually write science journal articles and, and doing that and showing that we can take this up a notch and it not just be sort of the battle of the diet ideologies. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for that. And as a friend and a colleague, I, I really have a lot of respect for you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm excited for that too, Ray. And I uh, appreciate you coming on here. It's, it's always fun and, and we'll have you back again. Uh, for anyone listening, we'll put all the links in the show notes. Um, so if you just go to nomadathlete.com, you should be able to find this episode on the podcast page if it's not at the right at the top of the homepage. Um, we'll put the link to Ray's Kickstarter, or you can just Google Kickstarter, Our Broken Plate, Kickstarter, Ray Cronice, you'll probably find it. Uh, we'll also put links to Ray's paper and his previous episode, so you can go deeper into that stuff. Uh, I think that's it. Ray, thank you for your time. This has been fun. Thank you. See you. All right. Talk to you later. <laughs>